I apologize in advance. I'm having a little extra respiratory problems this morning. And uh, thanks to Greg Petersheim. We went for a bike ride, a number of us, yesterday, and he defines rolling hills differently than I do, I guess. I think they're more like mountains, but we'll... Anyway, so if I uh, struggle a little bit, please understand that that's, that's why, and it's, it's Greg's fault. <laughs> well, we're finishing up a series on home improvements, God's uh, ideals, and to our broken family. Specifically, we've been looking at uh, to give vision help and hope um, in the context of families, marriages, and parents. You're familiar with the routine, but here's a number that's probably in your speed dial now, hopefully. And by the way, after this morning, you can text that number anytime you want, all week long. I don't think it matters. In fact, at 2 a.m., if you can't sleep, text that number and just ask questions. Because she's starting something new now where she answers questions. Anyway, but we hope you take advantage of that. I've been told, I listened to the uh, sermon online, and I was told that you saved all the tough questions for me, and, and thank you, because I, I definitely have, have all the answers. And there, there's sarcasm there, in case you didn't realize that. <clears throat> Tim shared last week that the, the highest calling uh, for a parent is to create an environment at home that relentlessly points kids to God. Talked about the ideal last week, and today we're going to get into the kind of reality of that. But the ideal is to create an environment at home that relentlessly points kids to God. Perhaps there's no better way to illustrate this than this quick clip. Beaver, you know the real reason you're being punished, don't you? Because I made you and Dan mad. No, because you played over at the new house and you told those lies about the dog biting you. I guess so. Beaver, it's telling lies that gets us into trouble. You'll always be safe if you tell the truth. And anyway, even when you think you're getting away with it, God knows you're lying. How? Oh, because God knows everything. He's seeing everything. Okay, yeah, um, we've uh, come a long ways in television, haven't we, over the years? <clears throat> well, I don't know you, about you, but I didn't grow up in a, uh, or, or nor did we have a Leave it to Beaver type family. So how do we aim for God's ideal of relentlessly, um, of creating an environment at home that relent- relentlessly points kids to God? when we have all different types of families. We might have two parent families, a single mom homes or single dad homes, or homes with detached fathers or mothers, or homes where grandparents are raising the kids, or homes where a parent passes away, or a home where there's step-parents, or homes with birth children, foster children, adopted children, stepchildren. If we're going to aim for God's idea of creating an environment at home that relentlessly points kids to God, then we have to have an approach that takes into account all these types of families. Here's the reality. They're ready for this. The reality is <clears throat> we all sin and fall short of God's ideal. Isn't that an encouraging message this morning? <clears throat> that we are all sin and we'll never be able to reach God's ideal. Depressing. But there's comfort in that. And that is this, therefore, we all fail at parenting. There's comfort in that, 
because I want you to perhaps in some way cut yourself a little slack this morning. We have all felt, if you've been a parent, you felt, as a, you felt like a failure at times. We remember Proverbs 22, and Tim alluded to it last week, where it says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. And we've held on to that as if it was a promise. And Tim mentioned last week, it's a principle, not a promise. So when kids have not, you know, gone the way we train them up, we lay our head on our pillow at night and we say, bottom line, I'm a failure as a parent. Now, I hope that I'm in good company. (laughs) I hope that I'm up here by myself thinking, yeah, I've been there. I've been there where I felt like, you know what? When I said that, when I did that, when I demonstrated that, I failed as a parent. And I think it's important for us to understand that we are going to fail. If you have your Bibles, just quickly, we're not going to stay here long, but I want you to see Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2 says, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Here's what he says. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Wow, here's the God of the universe saying, I parented these kids, this nation, in the way they should go, and then they rebelled against me. And so I find comfort in this verse because I say, wow, I'm in good company. Because according to this, God is saying that I parented you, but you didn't listen to me. I think it's important for us to to hold on to that as as we talk to this morning because there's times when every one of us has had the pain of feeling like, God, why did you have me be these kids' parents? Because apparently I can't do it. But from Isaiah 1, we see that there's no guarantees. The technique that we use or the approach that we use or the book that we read that we apply every single chapter, it doesn't guarantee that a child is going to grow up loving God. This brings comfort to those like me that, that we're not in a leave it to beaver family. This means, by the way, that regardless of the type of parents, whether they be two parents, single parents, or the type of children, whether they be birth, foster, adopted, step, or even strong-willed or compliant ch- children, regardless of all this, we can still aim for God's ideal. And that's because It is more about who we are than about what we do or how we do it. Now, I tried to get catchy on Facebook, so I talked about the secret of parenting. You know, and the secret is there's not a certain formula or technique that we can use that's going to guarantee that it's going to work. In fact, that it's more about who we are. So if this is true, then some of the questions we need to ask is, how am I modeling Christ to my children and what I say and how I respond as I live my life? By the way, that's consistent with Deuteronomy 6, where God uh, tells, tells the nation of Israel to impress these things upon your children, to talk about them basically all day long. So as a parent, we ask ourselves some of these questions. <clears throat> what makes me happy? What makes me sad? What makes me angry? What do I value? How do I handle emotions, relationships, pain, joy? The answer to these questions will determine how we parent and what biblical worldview we are teaching our children. Understand, this is not how we typically measure parenting. Oftentimes, we measure parenting by a, a kid's ability to follow the rules. If you have your Bibles, if you would, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pews. 
And you're welcome, by the way, to not only use that, but take that home. And Luke chapter 15, you know the, the story, the parable of the lost son, parable of the prodigal son. And as you know, this father has two children. One of them has decided to, to take his inheritance and go out and, and live in rebellion and squander all of his wealth. The other one has stayed home and has worked the fields and has done everything the father has asked. And if that's all we knew of the story, then we could ask this question, which son was a better son? Which son better understood what the father was trying to teach them? And the answer would be the older son, right? Because externally, he had followed all the rules, he'd done all the right things, and he's the kind of kid that you can, um, you know, write about in your Christmas letter and just talk about the joys. You know, he's the kind of kid that you can Facebook about. You know, he's the kind of kid that you can look at him and say, wow, I'm so proud of my son. He's done everything I've asked. But if you read on the story, and if we look at Luke 15 and we start reading 28, verse 28, we see a different situation. The younger son has come and he's decided, as you know the story, he's decided that he's, you know, he's hit rock bottom. He's got to go back to his dad and say, listen, I'm not worthy to be a child. Please just make me one of your slaves. And the father welcomes the son and decides, let's have a great big party. And then in verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your prosperity, uh, your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's now found. As you look at this passage, you begin to understand that the older son actually never really got it. And he was doing all the right things. So it looked like when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, parents, and you're kind of thinking through the day and the month and the years, and you're like, wow, I've just done a great job. Look at my son, how well he's doing. But what you see in this is that perhaps it's the younger son that gets it the most. Perhaps it's the younger son that realizes and comes back and and has a a true relation with the father where the older son has done all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And you begin to kind of think through and say, okay, then what does it look like as parents? You see, it's more about who we are than about what we do or how we do it. If the goal of parenting is to create Christ followers, then we have to go after not just external actions, but the hard issue. Psalm 51, it says, God says, burn offerings and sacrifice I don't desire, but a broken and contrite spirit. And seeing as parents, so often we are trying to instill in our kids we, we, good values, but we measure that by, by good actions. And we measure our success by whether they're able to toe the line, whether they're able to, to not embarrass us, <laughs> not only as children in public, but also as adults by their lifestyle. In my own life, you know, I struggled with this because, as, as many of you know, I have a son that's, uh, that's in prison. And uh, when he turned 18, he kind of self-destructed, and he's going to be in prison probably most of my life and, and maybe most of his. And it's hard. i got to tell you, there's many a days when he went to prison that I'd put my head on my pillow and I'd say, bottom line, Chuck, you failed. And I would say to God, you might have thought I could do it, but I couldn't. So I was not able to keep my son 
from self-destruction and go to prison. And, um, and it's just a sense, a real sense of, of being a failure. Because if you look at it, you know, when you go places, people are like, oh, well, tell me about your kids. And, well, my kid's studying at Harvard. He's going to be this. And my kid's going to be this. And my kid's over in Uganda. And my kid's on the... And they're like, oh, what about your kid? Well, my oldest son, yeah, he's in prison. You know, and there's a sense of, yep, see, you guys did it right, but no, nah, not me. I screwed up. Somewhere along the line as a parent, I failed. Until about a couple years in the prison. And I'm visiting my son. And I said to my son, I said, uh, so talk to me about what's going on in prison. And why don't you ever seem to get in fights? Because, you know, if you watch enough TV, you know, prison, you just, you're always beating each other up. And he said, Dad, he said, inmates ask me that. My, 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 my friend friends ask me that all the time. They say, Joe, man, why don't, why, don't you, why don't you beat people up? Why don't you stand up for yourself? And here's what he said. He told me, he said, I tell them that's not how my mom and dad raised me. He said, my mom and dad raised me. That's not how you handle conflict. That you don't fight. That, uh, that you let God fight your battles. And I was like, Claudia and I were sitting there we're like, oh, so maybe, maybe we did pretty good. You know, maybe he got it. Maybe he understands what life is all about. Now, do I wish he wasn't behind bars? Absolutely. But I've come to realize that the things that we taught him, the things, the, the value system that we ingrained into our children, that even though his actions caused him to be where he is today, that it's serving him very well in the context of prison. I wish it was a different context, but you know what? I pray that my son is the best prisoner that prison ever had um, <clears throat> because of what he knows about life by watching his mom and his dad. And so it's not so much about the techniques. It's not so much about having kids, um, as it says here, um, that it's more about who we are than about how we do it. And then also this. It's not so much the kind of parent we are, but the kind of Christ follower we are. So what makes you happy, I asked that a little while ago. What makes you sad? What makes you angry? What do you value? How do you handle conflict? How do you handle disappointment? It's our kids watching us in those areas that causes them to understand what it means to be a Christ follower. It's not about the techniques. It's not about holding on to a formula or a good book or a conference or anything. Not that any of those are bad. But that's not what God's idea was for a parent. God's idea for a parent is to model to your kids what it means to be a Christ follower. You see, if ideal parenting relentlessly points kids toward God, then as a parent in a broken world, the more I focus on who I am in Christ, instead of what or how I parent, the better I can parent. Let me say that again. That's not on the slides. As a parent in a broken world, regardless of the type of parent or regardless of the type of children, the more I focus on who I am in Christ, instead of what or how I parent, the better I can parent. You see, it's a condition of the heart. And I want children, and we all want children that understand the heart issue, not just the rules or the guidelines or the proper way in which you're supposed to talk or respond or live. That requires me as a parent, no matter what type of parent I am and what type of kids I have, it really crosses all those. It requires me to pursue emotional, healthy spirituality. It requires me to say, as a parent, maybe the greatest thing I can do in parenting is to walk close to God and allow my kids to see that. And so, as parents, we will fail. It's hardwired into us to fail. 
How do I handle my failures? How do my kids see me when I've blown it and I, I wasn't as nice to my wife as I should have been? Now, it's nice when you have an autistic daughter. Because you have an autistic daughter and you talk to your wife in a tone that's not appropriate, autistic daughter was saying, that's crabby, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, did I come across crabby? My bad, you know? Um, <clears throat> but when we respond in a way it's not appropriate, whether it's to spouses or whether it's to other people, our kids are watching us. How we handle our money, how we handle our job, how we handle walking in the church, what we say about people in the church when we're driving home in the car. All those things are, are determining our kids' ability to become Christ followers. So what are some takeaways? The first one is this. God is not as concerned with our failures as he is with what we do with our failures. That's a huge lesson that we, want to, that we need to know and we want to teach our children. The other one is the way we live our lives as parents is more important than any parenting technique. And then the third one, strive for obedience of the heart over obedience of rules. It's kind of a, a, a simple response to a very complex issue of parenting. But what I want to get across is this. We are going to fail. Just, just, just know it's coming. But it's not so much about that we didn't use the right technique, but it's more about who we are as people. And if we want to relentlessly point our kids to Christ and have them be Christ followers, then we have to be a Christ follower. And we have to, you know, not look at the older son and say, that's what I want. But instead, and, and God forbid, it has to be that way, but if the younger son has to go off and live in rebellion, but if we instilled in them the right value system, then hopefully that they'll hold on to that. So at this time, I'm going to have uh, Tim and Joel and Shirley come up, and we'll answer questions. I'll leave it on these takeaways, since Shirley usually says, oh, I hoped you kept on that last slide. Before, if you still have more questions or as if a question comes in and you think, oh, yeah, I want to ask him this, feel free to text that in even as we're going through this question and answer session because I think that I can talk and answer texts at the same time. It'll be all good. Do you guys want to do any quick feedback before we go into questions or shall we just go dive into questions? Good. Yeah. All right then. No, I thought it was good. Um, I, I appreciated the big picture perspective of that it's not just about the techniques. In fact, it's less about the techniques than who we are as people, which I really value, and especially those who are not parents right now, and you wondered why did I listen to that for 20 minutes? Because it's about who you are, not about what you do. Appreciate that. I agree. All right, then. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up, Tim, because the, some of the, actually some of these questions that we're going to refer to are ones that have come in for over previous weeks that I knew would fit really well into, into today. Um, and you said about this, this part about, you know, it's not, it's about who we are, you know, um, Chuck, I think you said something about, it's more about who we are than what we do and how we do it. So the question that came in said, okay, now, let's suppose as I'm looking at who I am, I realize that who I am has been shaped by really, really bad patterns in the past. Not not just my generation, but by my parenting, by, you know, how my parents parented me. How do I break that cycle so that I can be the parent that I want to be? But 
my answer. By the time you break the cycle, the kids are grown up. <laughs> Next question. I, I, I'm partially kidding, but I mean, that would be the story of my life, you know, growing up in a very difficult um, home life. And I think it's that helping, helping, for me, hopefully helping my kids understand that dad's not perfect, but dad is trying to follow God in everything he does. And he will make mistakes. And hopefully he's a man enough to own up to it. But constantly going back and saying, it's not about me, it's about this. And so, you know, I try to model that where I don't. And, this, you know, hopefully my kids understand this. Um, what, a couple of them are here. You can ask them afterwards. But when dad and this don't agree, follow this. Because dad's a work in progress. And he's trying to become more like Christ. And so, yeah, it's, uh, if, if you've gone through difficulty and then kind of dysfunction, it is going to show itself in how you parent. And you will um, have hiccups along the road. But as we said a few weeks back, God, nothing is beyond God's redemption. God can redeem any one of us, and uh, regardless of our situation. I, I agree. I, I'd add to that. Uh, you almost put it like if you've gone through dysfunction, and I would argue that everybody is is dysfunctional because of sin, theologically speaking. I think you'd agree with that too, Chuck. But even those, you might you may look at it and, and say, well, they're. <laughs> If only I had something like they had, or man, but my home, in my home, this never happened. You know, I, I, I have gone through, and I told some of you guys that love you this, and some of you in our home this, I've gone through a, a time for, for Jen and I, as we were processing our background with a life coach, essentially um, family counselor, marriage counselor, and, and um, he said to me and to Jen, he said, you know what, I've had people, because what I told them is I said, hey, my, my upbringing wasn't that bad. And he said kind of smiled knowingly in his fatherly way and he's like listen you need to know that I've had women sit here and say yes but I, I've been raped but not at gunpoint like my friend and so it wasn't that bad see we all want a good story we all want to say like my upbringing wasn't that bad my parents weren't that bad my family wasn't that bad or whatever but listen the reality is sin has hit all of us so the impact of our parents on us is so profound and I I, I believe we can't process that alone and we need someone else to come alongside and help us see it and process with us because we're so in it that we can't see it because we're right in it. So I, I think that question, I love the question, I love the focus of that question because we need that. We need to get after where we come from because it really impacts where we've been. But I think you need to process that with other people, uh, with someone you trust uh, to help you walk through that. It's so, I, I really value and appreciate that perspective. Very helpful. Yeah, we, we all live out of our hearts, and uh, the wisest man that ever lived, <clears throat> excuse me, Solomon says that all the issues uh, of life spring from our hearts. And so the question uh, about, you know, what if I've been shaped by the, you know, my, my background, my parents, you know, bad influences, those kinds of things, um, there's a realization that Tim is talking about. We need to understand where we come from, the things that have shaped us, but then we also need to take steps towards stepping into those fears, stepping into those, uh, the, that, that type of background and learn how to, how, essentially how to, how to change. And you know, it begins with the mind, our thought processes about renewing our mind, and then the scripture gives us a way. And that's a whole nother series that we could get into, but not just acknowledging that we, we come from a broken, we all come from a broken background. We all have that, that sin, but then, okay, so what do we do about it? We step into that and through the Holy Spirit, someone walking with us, um, 
we live out of our hearts. And there's a great resource, on, particularly on parenting, regarding that particular issue uh, that Paul Tripp writes called Shepherding, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Excellent resource. I'd be loved, uh, love to get that to you if, if you'd like to have that. I'll give it to you for free. Run the title past him again. Shepherding a Child's Heart. By, by Paul think, Tripp, right. Yeah. yeah, we don't have time to unpack it, but I think what they're saying, and kind of what I'm saying is, there's two types of growing up in dysfunction. There's the outwardly rebellion that the younger son did, and then there's the inward rebellion that the older son did. And one's not any better than the other. You know, at that point, they both had a heart issue. You know, well, we don't know the end of the story, but it seems like the younger son came around and understood the heart issue. We don't know, but we're implied that the older son may have never gotten it. And so it's easy to think, well, we didn't have any of that in my house, but maybe the compliance and maybe, the, maybe it was there, but it was under the surface and it just never exploded. That ties right into another question that, that someone had sent in that said, okay, now how, because it's very easy to look at that youngest rebellious son and say, okay, that's the problem child right there, okay? And the question that came in was, okay, but how do I challenge my compliant child to make the, their faith their own? How do I help them you know, if I've got a child who just, anything that I say, they say, yes, mom. There are children that actually exist like that, okay. Um, but you know that they've never really internalized their faith. How do you help prevent the creation of that oldest son? I think is kind of the question. question. I know, it's a good question. I, I, I think all the hard questions good. were coming to Chuck. Isn't that what we agree? Yeah. My, my quick response, uh, tough, great question again, very insightful question. I really like that question. Um, and I, I would say I, as much as you can put that child, push that child toward um, areas of independence, if you kind of coached independence. In other words, um, move them. If there's an opportunity for them to go on, let's say, a mission trip, send them there, kind of do their own thing and kind of feel that out. If there's an opportunity for them to lead in, a, in an environment, where they're going to have to press into uh, a teaching role or a preparation role where they're going to have to prepare something on their own. Now, press into that and do that. Provide those contexts for, for kids who just will listen to anything you say. And, yeah, yeah, we'll take it, we'll take it, we'll do it. That's good. I mean, hey, we'll take that, right? But, but I think we'd also want to put those kind of kids and, and let them get pushed out, if you will, under the, the watchful care of... <laughs> of your, your family while they're younger, but, but giving opportunities for leadership um, so they can begin to form their own conclusions and still ask you questions as you parent them is one, one way to do that. One, one I, you know, I, I think, uh, and this is just Chuck Holt's philosophy after just thinking through this question for a few moments, but I'm, I'm drawn to the book of Amos where God says to the nation of Israel, I'm going to cover my ears when you worship. You know, I'm not going to hear it. It's going to, it's, it's going to sound awful to me because your heart's not in the right place. And I don't want your great behavior if you don't have the heart. Someone along the line between birth to whatever, where you want to teach them that you have to do this because mommy and daddy says when they're one years old, to by the time they're teenagers, you want them to be able to think through the heart of the issue. And maybe, hear me out, maybe we, we applaud the following the rules a little too much and we don't applaud the, the heart issue. Again, that's a, that's a catch-22 because you, you do want them following the rules. But is there, are our kids growing up thinking, Mommy and Daddy are proud of me if I do X, Y, Z? Or Mommy and Daddy are proud of me also when I had the right heart issue, even though I might have done the wrong thing? Well, maybe then within the helping them create the, the right heart, you also teach them to ask the, question, the, the right questions. 
so that the faith becomes their own? Maybe? You said it Well, well <laughs> um, a thousand different uh, directions, but uh, the, home sh- the home should be the place that is the safest for, for, the, for the, the children. And so allowing them to make mistakes and then point out with them and walk with them about the, about the heart issues. That's, that's at the heart of what Tim was talking about, the ideal of, you know, when you lay down, when you get up, when you're walking, you know, when you're, when you're driving down the car, you're driving in the car somewhere, going, there's always an opportunity to talk about the heart issues in, in every situation, even the good, the good and the bad. And so as we push, as I, I really believe what Tim is talking about, as we push our children out and allow them to, to do things in school or extracurricular activities, that will always give them the opportunity to get shaken up a little bit. And what is on the inside will spill out. And so the heart things will spill out. So how do we do that within the home? We make that a safe place where we can talk about the mistakes, where we can talk about the sin or the anger or whatnot and deal with the heart issue rather than, you know, don't talk to me that way. You know, those, those kind of things. We have a tendency to do that. The, 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 especially the fathers, you know, <laughs> to respect me, you know, those, those kind of things. But uh, I, that home environment, pushing the kids out, giving them the opportunity for the heart to be revealed, and then in the home environment, deal with that in a safe, in a safe way. And can I just add one practical thing sure. before you add your thing that you just wanted to add before I stepped onto your words, okay? Um, at a practical level, one way that we've seen this work is by, uh, and we don't do this again all the time or as well as we could, but we've seen um, intentional minutes at bedtime be a helpful processing time for little children. Okay, so my oldest is not yet a teenager, so she's, she's 12, so my expertise, if there is such a thing, I don't even know if that exists at all, right, in parenting. Like I said last week, the more you parent, the less you feel confident about talking about it. But what we've seen is that in those moments at bedtime, or when life is kind of quieting down, when there's intentional time, even just five, ten minutes, given at bedtime where the parent doesn't rush out of the room, there's times when the brain starts to slow down and process the day where these big questions come up. And you kind of want to leave, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm so tired. But yes, let's talk about why, you know, why prayer works or doesn't work. And now let's talk about you know, the sin and why everybody's a sinner. Let's talk about you know, what happens to people who never hear about Jesus. Do they really go to hell or whatever? I just want to you know, but those are some helpful moments if we can create those times. Again, five minutes, ten minutes at the end of the night um, to do that. Yep. And, and, I, and I'd like to tell you that as the children get older, that time gets later. At no, it, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, it's just okay. true. Break, and at some point, me. they don't want to talk to you about it. But, that, yeah. but and I, what I like to do is kind of swing the pendulum on what Tim said. And what do you do when you have a teenager that is living rebellion? And, and I'm not saying I, I certainly am not the corner market on how to handle that, but... I think sometimes as parents, we're afraid to teach them that cause and effect. So we want the fall to be too light, so we allow them. And I would just encourage you that, for me, the hardest thing I ever had to say was to my son, well, there's the door. If you're not going to do it this way, then you can leave now. He wasn't 13. Hear me out. Does that work when they're seven, <clears throat> Knowing six, that, five? it might. Try it. You know. <laughs> but what I mean is, knowing that when he walked out that door, it could be that he self-destructs. But... I have to stand before God someday, and I want God to be able to say, how come, I, don't want, I do not want God to say, how come you kept giving in whenever they pitched a fit, whenever they whined, whenever they manipulated, manipulated? And as parents, it's so easy to not, as they become teenagers, we don't want the battle. We don't want the struggle. 
And so we kind of, if, if anything, we kind of say, okay, I'm just going to choose my battle, so go ahead and do that. And we send, and they learn that we're sending different messages. And I would just encourage you, if you have a teenager that is, that is living in rebellion, um, that we have to be consistent because that's who God is, and that's what God, God's word is. And they have to know that we love them and we care, but we have to begin to teach them cause and effect. And if you go out and do this, there's going to be consequences. And sometimes as parents, we're afraid of that. And maybe we're afraid because it'll make us look bad. So we kind of let them get away with it. And I'm not sure that that's helping them understand what a true Christ follower is because it doesn't work that way in, in real life. Well, it, well, I mean, and when they're young, you're so used to protecting them. It's very, very hard to get to the point where you're allowed to, where you say, oh, but maybe my best step is to not protect them today. And that's, that's hard. Um, <laughs> How do y'all feel about having lunch today? Because I got more like really good questions, and I think you said what, like two thirty? Two thirty is fine. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. Then here we go. Um, this one also was one from another week, and I think it it probably will apply to a lot of us in a lot of ways. The question came in saying, "How how do you do this parenting thing when you've got blended families with different beliefs?" However, I think personally, I'd like to stretch it a little further. Because I think that that applies to a lot of us. Some of us may have married someone whose personality, whose temperament, whose perspective on parenting is very different than ours. So I don't think it's even just a blended family issue. I think we all kind of struggle with that from time to time. How do you consistently parent well when you have very different perspectives, either on faith or on parenting? I didn't say they'd be easy questions. There's a good book written by James Dobson. Kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I'll, I'll talk foolish to give them time to come up with something profound. All right, how about that? Is that different um, than normal? I'm confused. Yeah. Let us know when I, you get serious. Okay? I would yeah. say, again, this is, this is a pat answer, and I realize they're very complex issues. I would say that, again, it's not about finding the right technique. Those are difficult waters to navigate when you have different cultures coming together or you have different belief system, and it is not easy. You bring a lot to the table, and I would again say, rather than, I don't want to answer with, well, here's three techniques, or here's two things you do, but constantly go back to God's word as a, as a parent, as a husband and wife, or if you're, well, in this case, you're talking about a husband and wife. Constantly go back to God's word and said, let's massage or navigate our culture, what we bring to the table, in light of what God's word says, and let this be our starting point, and so I may have to add or take away from what I think is right because it's not what God's word says. And we all have been parented um, with things that are not necessarily <laughs> from God's word. So again, I know that sounds, you know, cliche-ish, but rather than say, well, here's three things you can do, it's very complicated and it's not simple, but you've got to start with this. And you've got to say, okay, God, we come before you, we do not know, and we need you to teach us. I, I, would, I would agree. It, it, if, 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 if you point and, and you're trying to deal with you know, this issue, no matter, no matter where you're coming from, okay, but, but here I am, I'm, I'm a believer and I'm, I'm trying to do this. The, the goal is to get to the heart of the issue. And when you get to the heart of the issue about what's going on, then you deal with the heart rather than some type of technique or some type of you know f fix all or seven steps to this 
drive drive to the heart and then let the scriptures tell you where to go that's that's i think that you get to the heart and then deal with the heart of the issue and 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 that's that's my that's that's my pat answer um and, and that's not easy to do that that's not that's not an easy thing to do at at, at all and i think it's okay to say to your kids especially as they're teenagers we are navigating through this we are working on this you know, and to, as they're teenagers, bring them into it and say, we, we, we're not sure, you know, and again, go back to, what does a proverb say? There's a, there's a way which seems right to a man, then leads to death. We, we cannot do it without God. Yeah. Uh, I'll say on the question of how do you bring blood and flames together, people who don't necessarily come to the same, uh, come around parenting in the same way, I'll just say it doesn't work. There you go. <laughs> Have you ever tried to drive a car with two steering wheels? Like, it, it doesn't work. In other words, you can't have somebody driving left and someone going right. It doesn't work. So at the end of the day, if the parenting isn't going in the same direction, it doesn't work. And kids know that, and then they'll exploit the weakness in the system. And then they'll, they'll put mom against dad or whoever it is, stepmom against stepdad or whatever it is, because they know it's not working anyway, and there's weakness in the system, so it doesn't work. So moms and dads have to in some way figure out are there some macro level things we can agree on? Okay, we may not agree on every little detail of exactly how to punish or spank or not spank or discipline or not discipline or whatever, or how we're gonna do family time, if it, family time at all, whatever. But at the macro level, here's the direction this car is going, boom. You can't have two steering wheels, it doesn't work. And so I'd say, yes, we have to get, ideally, we'd say, let's get back to pointing kids toward God, creating an environment for that. But if you're coming from two different angles where you have someone who doesn't believe in God necessarily, doesn't believe in the authority of the scripture, at all, and someone who does, um, there has to be some layer of agreement somewhere at a macro level or else it doesn't work. There'll be great tension and stress in your home until you can figure out as a mom and dad, can we agree at least on where we're going in general? Because it, it's not going to work. So I think that has to be, be gotten a hold of first. Where in the big picture are we going and what kind of environment are we going to create? Um, this next one. I the, the, trying to kind of phrase this without making it too personal to them, but, but having it apply to all of us a little more. But uh, it's, the question's coming in from a dad who's frustrated. His work environment, I'm gathering, is keeping him away from his family more than he'd like. And so the frustration is, you know, feeling very much like he's letting his family down, not parenting well because of the amount of time he needs to be out of the home. And, if I said that wrong, feel free to retext me. Um, talk a little bit about that. How do you juggle that frustration? Because I'm sure a lot of us, there are a lot here that can resonate with that, with feeling like I don't have enough time. I know what I'd like to do as a parent, but I don't feel like I have the time because of other issues. Yeah. Let me just say something I heard from. You say something foolish and I'll do profound this time. Okay, that sounds fair. All right, that, that's like, yeah, we're like uh, three, three stooges up here really is what we got this morning, okay. Uh, I heard this, uh, credit to Andy Stanley on this at Catalyst Conference this year. He talked about the reality of, of parenting and the importance of it, okay. So I'd say to the question asker there, good stuff to wrestle with, and I don't think you should resolve that tension too quickly. I, I think you should stay in that tension and fight for what you think is most important. Because Stanley said this, there's really only one unique role you have in this world. And if that's true, here's what he said, that your unique role, even though this guy, let's say he's married, I don't even know who he is, but he's married to a, to a, to a, a woman, he's, he's a husband, 
truth be told, he could, she could get another husband if she wanted another husband, right? I mean, there may be a time when he's not a husband, okay? But there will never be a time, there will never be anyone else who can be the father to his kids that he can be. That is the only unique role in his entire life that he will ever have. And so Stanley's point, I think, well taken, why give up the only unique role you have for something that somebody else can do? Anyone else probably can do your job. To be honest, anyone else can do my job almost. Okay? The, the point is, anyone else can fill in what we think is so important in our weekly schedules, but no one else can be the father to your kids. So I would say, wrestle with that tension. Great question. Keep fighting and getting after. What is the one thing that you can do? You're a dad. You're the only one in the world who will ever be able to be a dad to your kids. So keep fighting with that tension and try to answer that question. Now, it might mean you might need to take some bold steps or whatever you need to do, but I'm just saying you're, <laughs> that's the only unique role you have, and so don't give that up too easily because anybody else can do anything else that you do. Yeah, I, I, I heard someone else say the same sim, similar thing, but he, he came out and was a little bit uh, more, more bold in what he said. He said some of you just need to uh, downsize you know, for the sake of your kids, for the sake of your family, you know, downsize, get a new job or something like this, because the, the, the role that you've been called to, as far as parenting, it's concerned when you're laying on your deathbed, it doesn't matter what kind, you know, how much money you made, what kind of car you drove, what kind of house you had. And we all want to give our kids the best. We, we want, we want to do that. We want to provide for, for, for our needs. But the thing that you're going to be wrestling with is relationships when, when, when you come to the end. And so consider that. And that, I mean, that's, that's hard, that it comes across harsh, but that's the truth. Well, I think long-term it's not sustainable. I mean, it's very hard um, to, to parent when you're always gone. What I would say is while you're wrestling with that in between time, be creative. You can't advocate what your role is. So now I'm not advocating Apple products, but get an iPhone so you can FaceTime. So you can put your kids to bed every night, you know, via face, I mean, Come up with some creative ways that you can be engaged with the family. Um, you and your wife agree that no decision be made with that unless you make them together, even though it would be easier for her just to make it. And so, yep, I will pull away and I'll, and I'll get on the phone and let's talk through this. And then mommy and daddy have talked about. And so I just think there is, and I agree with what they're saying, but in the short term, I would say come up with creative solutions that can allow you to still be home even though you're away. One of the beautiful things about the 21st century Mm -hmm. is that you're, you're a FaceTime away mm -hmm. um, and utilize some of that technology. I really was kidding about 2.30 or 4.30. I really was. <laughs> so I think, I, I think the one thing that I would love to hear from you guys is, as we wrap this up, is, okay, if I'm sitting here and thinking, okay, yeah, I heard Chuck talk about, you know, being emotionally healthy, you know, getting emotionally healthy spirituality. I don't know how to do that. You know, I heard them talking about you know, the blended family thing, and I know we've got a problem with that. Or I heard him talking about how to deal with this compliant child. What's my next step? If I'm feeling, okay, like I realize I've got a problem here, I want to work on it. What's my next step? Quickly, tell somebody. I mean, we have to create a community, a confessional community where we can share our joys and our struggles with one another. Find somebody else in this body of believers to say, I need you to walk this journey with me because... I, I can't do it alone. Now, that's short term. Obviously, I'll let these guys wax eloquent on the, on the next steps. But I would say, don't handle that burden alone. Say, I'm a dad who travels a lot. I feel like I'm disconnecting my family. Can you walk me through this? Walk through this with me? Or whatever the situation might be, we have to be willing, we have to be able to look at each other and say, 
I'm a dad and I'm failing and I don't have it all together. I'm a mom and I feel like I need somebody besides me to help me support me as I parent my kids. If we I, have to get there. If I could throw in just a short commentary on that, it would be that the times that I've done something like that has been terrifying for me to take that step. But as soon as I told somebody, the freedom that comes with that is fantastic. Because then I had somebody else to help carry the load. Couldn't agree more. I, I can't tell you, all of us sit here or listen later online and we tend to think that the people around us are in a better position than we are and then we just try to kind of up the ante and try to look more perfect and because we think he's perfect and then he thinks I'm perfect so we try to all kind of, kind of just kind of out perfect one another and, and if we're honest we all know that we're not nearly as good as we try to project and so the point is as we're able to have the terrifying conversation we need each other for this and every body in here and everybody listening is, is, is flawed because of sin so welcome to the club none of us are perfect parents of anything so let's talk we need each other for this kind of thing we need to verbalize it we need a plan we need to support each other without that best intentions they're just going to be left on the table we need each other to do it so I'd say let's talk I fully I fully agree that the, those were the thoughts that were running through my mind and then to cling to cling to the thought that this, that God has designed this in such a way that there is hope. There is, there is always hope, no matter how far, how dark, how far gone, there is hope. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, things that go into that. But there's hope that comes. And we could sit here, uh, all three of us could tell you story after story after story of people that have experienced incredible brokenness incredible uh, 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 hurt and, and, and heartache. And yet, we could also tell you that those same things, they, they can be redeemed. There, so there's, there's hope in the middle of all the brokenness. All right. Shirley, thank you for moderation during the course of these six weeks. Chuck, thank you for your part. Joel, thank you as well for your part. Tim, thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Um, everybody's been thanked. There we go. Um, and thank you guys for your part in this process, too, for your interactions, um, sending in your commentary here to, to Shirley and engaging with us. Um, at the end of the day, we've wanted to give um, vision, help, and hope for families, marriages, and, and parents. And so we just we want to be people who are continuing to kind of raise that bar high and say, man, there's more for us to get after, at the same time knowing, boy, we desperately need each other because none of us will ever reach that standard and none of us in this room or listening later will, will ever reach that standard without each other in the process. So let's talk, let's encourage, let's get after these things together. All right? All right. Let me pray for us and then we'll keep rolling with the day. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be together over the course of these weeks discussing this stuff on this issue of family, marriage, and parenting. Pray for the young men and women here who are not yet married, not uh, parents, not even maybe thinking about who they're going to marry or what that's going to look like or whether even they can even have kids or what have you. But I pray for, uh, for, for vision for them to see beyond um, what even some of their peers are, to have a vision of growing into a young man and woman who is a great dad, a great mom, a God-honoring wife and husband, one who gives in sacrificial love. Uh, to someone else and, and makes much of the gospel in their home and is, is constantly, relentlessly trying to point kids toward God in everything that they do. And Father, I pray for us as we fall short of the very standard that we want to hold and we fall short every day that you would give us the openness and the courage to be transparent with one another, to get the help 
that we need, which is all of us, the friendships that we need to support us in the journey um, as we work in our homes and our families and our marriages uh, to honor you in all things. And so, Father, we pray these things thanking you and looking to you to be our strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.